Welcome to The Sale Ring, a podcast dedicated to real estate brokers, agents, and America's top auctioneers that keep the markets moving. Join your hosts, Sean and Trina, as they talk with most successful realtors, marketing and technology experts, investors, and influencers. This show is devoted to all industry professionals looking to up their game and stay up to date. Welcome to The Sale Ring. And we're back in the sale ring. Yes. Trina, this is going to be a great show. It always is. It always is. When we have a guest like Mike Branley. Uh, especially when Mike Branley's on the line. <laughs> yeah. You guys are far too kind. Great to be here. Well, that's true. We are genuinely kind. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes. Yeah. I like <laughs> I have uh I have a head cold, so bear with me. Mm-hmm. All right. And sure. uh Mike, where are you at today? You're joining us via phone call. We've got you patched in the studio today. Where are you at? I'm in uh, Columbus, Ohio, more or less my home, and uh, did some running around this morning and uh, got in the back home, back of the office, essentially here about a half hour ago, and get ready to talk to you guys. So uh, nice. where are you guys today? Are you together today or, or yeah. a different place? Yeah, we're, we're in studio at, at uh headquarters what's that what's this place called the park the park we're yeah we're we're sitting here Knoll high Hill on top of Sy- sycamore Knoll park yes there it is there is Knoll in there somewhere it's funny years ago where the office is located somebody apparently had donated this land for a park here in uh, in kansas city and when you look on google we're sitting on the i don't know kind of about dead center in this little park called sycamore Knoll park so mm-hmm yeah, nobody knows where that's at, though, by the way. If you're looking at Google, you will see that park on there. If you go to the next-door neighbors and say, hey, you guys familiar with Sycamore No Park? And it's like, no, Mm-mm. never heard no. of that. Yeah, No, don't know anything about that. No. <laughs> that's where we're at, though. Yeah. It's, a, it's a beautiful – I drove in this morning, and there's like four or five deer out here in the front yard. It's, it's a really uh, yep. pleasing – uh, attractive 14 acres that we set on right here. And it's on a little bit of a knoll. Uh, it sets up in the air. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice place. Yes. Uh, I love it. I love it. Well, when I make it out that way, I want to, yeah. I want to tour. We'll take you on a tour. We'll go back in the woods even if you want to. Oh, I like it. I like it. Yeah. I will. Yeah. Sean's looking at me like I'm not going in the woods. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> A boy needs to go to the woods. <laughs> like, you know, that's an old saying. Is some people don't return from there sometimes. So. We'll return you from the woods. Don't worry. You'll make okay. your way back to Columbus. Papa, where's the dog? Your dog went to the woods. <laughs> Didn't Mike go to... Where's he at? He went to the woods. We took him to the woods. Yeah, we had to take Mike to the woods. He got unruly. Um. We have a great show, yes. and we uh, our, our last podcast show, we got into uh, several topics. You were on that show along with uh, a man named J.W. Ross, and we went down a great path, or two or three paths on that mm-hmm. show, but this one, we're going we're gonna to kind of stick to our guns. I read your latest blog article, or one of the two that have come out recently, and uh, Mike, tell us if you would just kind of set this up. You've been involved in an interesting case. And I think it will kind of build the context of what this podcast show will be about today. Well, sure. Glad to, Sean. Um, I would characterize at the top here, this is probably the most significant case for auctioneers in about 57 years. 
Uh, we used to say, I've said, the most significant case is Drew v. John Deere. That went through uh, New York to the New York Supreme Court in 1963. And we all, that, court, that court case gets quoted all the time, uh, even lately. But this case uh, went all the way to the Supreme Court of Appeals of West Virginia, the highest court in the state of West Virginia. And I would say that this case is likely going to have similar conversation for many years uh, as to how to work with it, address it. But it's it's highly significant. Excellent. Key takeaway from this case, what what part of it is relevant to both auctioneers, the sellers and the, the bidders that participate? Well, the the Supreme Court of Appeals of West Virginia uh, ruled in this case similar to the prior case. This was on appeal out of the circuit court of Wood County in West Virginia. And how I know maybe more about it than the typical auctioneer was that the plaintiff hired me to assist him. He's an attorney in West Virginia, uh, and he hired me to give him counsel. He drove up to Columbus and met me at, I think, Bob Evans or something. We talked things over. And I wrote a report for him, and I gave him my opinion, which he submitted to the court. Uh, he won his claim at the circuit court uh, circuit court of Wood County. And then he uh, uh, it was appealed. The auctioneer appealed it. And he won again, ultimately. And, and in summary, what this court ruled in West Virginia for every auctioneer needs to know this is that this court said as a general principle all the bidders at an auction must stand upon an equal footing and and just as important they said accordingly an auctioneer cannot vary the announced terms of the sale as to some bidders or any one bidder to the detriment of the other bidders. And that was what Mr. Leach's argument was, that he was registered with the requirements, but he had a bidder come after he was registered who was not registered, did not have the requirements, and bid against him. And his argument was, which he succeeded in convincing the court, or the court agreed with him, you can't have a bidder that doesn't satisfy the terms bidding against you, pushing your price up. As I recall, it was maybe $65,000 more. He would have uh, he would have got it for $65,000 less had this other bidder not been allowed to bid. And his argument was he shouldn't have been bidding because the term said you had to have 10% in the bank letter. And this guy didn't have either one. Hmm. So how's he? Yeah, how's he bidding at all? How was he approved to bid or get that bidder number in the first place? Well, and, and the auctioneer argued uh, not that well that, um, well, I think he's on our permanent number list or he's somebody we know or and, you know, who what auctioneer hasn't had like an old high school friend or a guy you play softball with or somebody uh, your your uncle shows up and says, I don't have a driver's license. Can I get a number and see your terms say you have to have a driver's license? Mm-hmm. But I know this guy. And so the argument, the other side, the the. The different argument you're hearing and seeing is, well, the seller may want to assume that risk if it's somebody that you know or play softball with or went to high school with. 
uh, or somebody ex- exceptionally wealthy shows up and you say, yeah, you don't have to worry about your driver's license. You got you got a hundred million dollars in the bank. You can buy and sell us 10 times. Go ahead and bid. But see, it isn't about that bidder. It's about the other bidder saying, wait a minute, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. They don't satisfy the terms. How are they allowed to bid not satisfying the terms if I complied with your advertised terms that this is required, but they don't have to comply with that. So that's where we're at. All right. It's a good thing we don't have a phone line in here today or a phone bank. The phones would be lighting up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Probably. All right. Well, you know what? And, and sometimes things, um, you know, as a as a culture, as a civilization, we're continuing to evolve. Business is evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, people reference back to the Constitution and, and the Bill of Rights. And, you know, when they were written, this was a different country at that time with, uh, you know, a, a different mindset and, you know, whether people want to admit it or not, principles. And, you know, we so as as things continue to evolve and change, um, businesses and industries going to have to grow and evolve with those, right? That's right. The auction business is no different. So the way that the practitioners that have been at this for 20 to, let's say 30, 40, 50 years in the business, if they happen to be listening to this, um, they're already, you know, their face is starting to turn a different color and say, well, by God, that's my auction and I'll decide who gets to bid in it and who doesn't, but we're in a different day and age yeah. today. So, right. uh, but what I would like to do here, here's where I think it's going to be of value to the listeners. Mike, you have volumes of expertise in this. You've sat in a courtroom, you've watched these cases, um, won and lost. And that's right. Uh, is it let me start off with this that now that is a decision that was made by two courts in do you say west virginia or virginia west virginia in west virginia so it's the district court court and then the supreme court yeah supreme court of appeals supreme court of appeals which is over the supreme court yes sir yeah. Well, that's interesting. I actually didn't know that. So I the Supreme it. Court of Appeals is on top of the Supreme Court. There's, in other words, there's no place to appeal this in West Virginia. They're the final word. That you is would the, have that is the, the, the decision. Court. Yeah. Huh. The fact that you there's could the, appeal the Supreme Court of West Virginia is interesting as well, because that's usually where it stops, right? Yeah, I think um, I don't. West Virginia is not the only state like that. New York as a appeals court above the Supreme Court. Interesting. So the New York Supreme Court is not the highest court in New York, for example. And and it appears then, at least from my observations, that West Virginia is similar in that regard. So the auctioneers or real estate professionals that offer auction services, which in, in turn would be auctioneers, listening to this podcast show today, they're going to be viewing this from, well, from the seller and auctioneer standpoint, they're going to be viewing it from both of those uh, versus from the bidder standpoint, because mm-hmm. when they're listing an auction and setting up terms and conditions with that seller, and hopefully they're viewing this as I'm going to be a service provider. I'm going to provide auction services to you, but this is your auction. So I'm going to do this at your direction, and I'll give you as much guidance and coaching as as you need or require. 
So that's, we, that's right. We have boilerplate terms and conditions. This is what we would typically use in the auction. But, um, you know, a smart auctioneer would say, I want the seller to review those even with their counsel. If if they uh, if they question or don't fully understand any of that, and let's have you and or your attorney review those and sign off on them, and this is what we'll go to market with. So there's a host of questions that are coming up, and we can address this. We can talk about two different scenarios. One is a live auction mm-hmm. where people are coming on site, either in a building, you know, away from the property or the personal property that's being offered or right there on site where you're, you're carrying it out of the house and setting it up on tables. There would be a registration place, mm-hmm. a, a trailer, a table, or whatever, and there would be registration requirements for everybody that shows up. Fair enough? Yeah. Just right. like going to the DMV, right? You have to have your title. You have to have a whole list of things, right? Exactly. Okay. You, you show up and you're prepared to register. Right. Now... So let's let's talk first and foremost about somebody that frequents the auction company. Um, and this would also, I think, relate to if you had an auction house, a place of business where the items are brought to your auction location mm-hmm. and you've issued. Trina comes to, let's say, all of our auctions. She's been a customer for five, ten years, whatever. We already have all of her information on account. She right. has a bidder's number at this auction house or on site at that auction. How does that weigh into what you just told us from somebody that has never uh, came to one of those auctions before and doesn't have a permanent bidder's number, but they're required to present additional things that Trina has already taken care of prior to that? Right, and and that would be very common, particularly in that auction house scenario where you've got regulars. We see them all the time, and then we got this new guy coming in from Louisville, and he he says, how do I get a number? And I said, well, I need, you know, your firstborn blood type. Uh, <laughs> and all yeah, this other Exactly. Um, but wait a minute. None of other people here gave blood or gave their firstborn. Uh, well, they're regulars. They're on the permanent number list or whatever. See, you could have your terms. You could put on your website or put on your uh, wherever you're advertising. To register for this auction, you need 10% and a bank letter, or be on our permanent number list. So mm-hmm. then could choose which line they want to get in. But it's all advertised up front. It's, it's established that those are the, that's the criteria. If you satisfy A or satisfy B, you can get a bidder number. Well, I would think at some point that that long-term bidder, you know, your regular, had to provide that. They were a new bidder at some point. So somewhere you've got that on file and you should be able to pull it. And maybe as your terms evolve, you might need an, an, one piece of paper a year or something like that from them. Right. right. I think it makes sense in that environment to maybe have a, a couple different ways established up front that people can participate. Right. You want to give deference to Trina, you're, you know, you're a regular. So uh, I'm not going to ask for a driver's license week after week after week after week. Uh, you just walk in and raise your bid card. You're all good. So we're already cracking the nut on something that should offer some level of relief to the listeners. If you're an auction practitioner listening to a podcast and you're like, well, then I'm screwed. You know, I can't, uh, I can't even, you know, use gut feeling out here or have, um, 
I'm going to end up running all of my existing customers off because now I have to have a heightened level of bidder registration requirements at every auction because I have new bidders coming in the door. That's not necessarily true. If I'm hearing Mike Branley correctly, um, it's about presetting the registration requirements for everybody and then not altering those on a case-by-case basis. And you could set those up where there's some variance in. If we're familiar with you, if you've done business here, if you already have items on record, then you get a little bit of an easier pass into this auction because you've already met those hurdles at a previous point. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's all very reasonable and and even somewhat customary that auctioneers would have uh, a variety of ways that you could register or be qualified to bid, whether you're a regular or if you're not a regular, then I need, you know, this additional information. But as uh, we were discussing earlier, you'd want to get your seller on board because, see, it's a seller's property and they're the principal here. And so you sit down with your seller and you say, hey, well, I'm going to sell your stuff at the, uh, at the, at the Grange Hall next Saturday. And we generally require a driver's license. Uh, now, if they're a regular, you know, we kind of let them bid without that. Is that okay? And get your seller's consent. Have it in the contract between the auctioneer and the seller as to what this registration requirements are and get them to sign on it and agree to it. And maybe, as we were discussing, maybe have their attorney review it. And that, also, just to chime in, would be the listing contract at the right. point of listing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The only the only practical issue with that, I suppose, would be most sellers and most attorneys for sellers don't have any idea what that requirement should be. So they kind of rely on the auctioneer because the auctioneer knows what it needs to be. They don't, they would almost, Sean, if you said, hey, for this real estate auction, we need $50,000 deposit, a driver's license, and a bank letter. If I'm the seller and I don't know anything about real estate auctions, and I don't know, I would assume you do, Sean, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say, that's fine. If you think that's fine, then that's fine. Well, that, and I, I believe with a licensed professional, you know, whether that's your, your physician, your attorney, an auctioneer, somebody that that's holding, um, and I, I guess that I don't know if the threshold is is a physical license, but somebody that you're you're relying in to provide consult out there, that's part of the job. Yeah, you know, part part of the job is, and it's also part of the job to step up and say, folks, this is my second auction. I don't have a lot of expertise in this. You know, <laughs> yeah, you're shooting yourself in the foot by doing that, but for for God's yeah. sakes, don't go out there and over promise and under deliver and then get drug into right. a court of law. Mm-hmm. And the seller's saying, well, uh, talk to my trained professional over here. They do this all the time. And you're on the stand. You say, uh, actually, I've only done this one other time. This was my second sale. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I made a mistake. That's- and your mistake's going to cost you and that seller, right? Oh, there's no question. Um, you know, you're just starting out. Would it be a good idea to maybe pull somebody in that has maybe got uh, a lot more experience or can uh, tag team it with you or something? And, and there's plenty of auctioneers that would uh, advise, counsel, help, assist, what have you, until you get your training wheels off, so to speak. Yes, sir. Well, this is a biggie, Mike, because there are people out there that absolutely are um, making on-the-spot correction. You know, at the root of this conversation, it's not just about registration. I get the feeling what you're really talking about 
are the terms and conditions of auction that have been set in place and then altering those on the fly on a case by case basis the day of the sale. That that is exactly what happened here in this case in West Virginia. And the court looked at the terms, looked at what was advertised and said, there's nothing in here that allows the auctioneer to register anybody that doesn't satisfy the terms. There's not any ors, this or this or this. There was simply, you got to have 10% and a bank letter, period. And when a bidder doesn't have that, the other bidder says, well, then you can't register him. Or in this case, <laughs> you shouldn't have registered him. What, uh, what about the, you know, you brought up something you just said, brought up a great thought. What about the catch all that you always see, you know, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to overstate this just for, you know, for intent, but I, I want people to understand there's, there's always at the bottom that disclaimer, um, which basically in a nutshell says, oh, by the way, all of the rest of the stuff above that I've just written in terms of may or may not be factual. We seller reserves the right to change any of that on the fly. Yeah, and yeah. and I mean, I've not seen respons- it, you know, not responsible for on auction day will take precedence over whatever's written. Takes, takes yeah. precedence over any previously mm-hmm. printed or, or, um, or verbal, you know, marketing advertising or no warranties, no guarantees. Mm-hmm. So you've got that whole catch all phrase down there at the bottom and said, Oh, by the way, I put a whole bunch of stuff in here which may mean nothing if we want to change it the day of the auction. Feelings about that, Mike? Well, I have uh, not surprisingly written about that. Um, You might be interested to know where that all started. That all started with newspaper advertising. Mm -hmm. And newspapers would make mistakes. They would say old instead of oak. They would say the auction started at 10 o'clock instead of 1 o'clock. Typos, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the Columbus Dispatch ran one of my ads upside down once. (laughs) Upside Upside down, that's funny. I mean, you can't make it up. So Today you'd pay a marketing company a whole bunch of money to do that for you. Yeah, to make it more noticeable. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to make your ad stand out. It'll be the only one facing north. (laughs) We actually considered running them upside down after that because we had the biggest. (laughs) um, That's hilarious. We're encouraged. I just getting in the business, the, the auctioneer I work for, in all his mm-hmm. newspapers he had in there, announcements made day of sale, take precedent over mm-hmm. any print, as the, the newspaper could have made a mistake, and I want to be able to correct it. I think that's fine, but I, my opinion is, if you take that phrase and then just start saying, well, here's the terms, but they might not be because I want to be able to uh, change my mind or or uh, make a decision on the fly or whatever. That's not really the intent of that phrase. That phrase was to correct things, but not allow you complete unilateral uh, arbitrariness in terms of, well, I'm going to, okay, 10% bank letter, but uh, you don't have either and you don't have any money, but I'm going to have you bid anyway. Right. It's- <clears throat> that doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, it would it wouldn't from the standpoint that see your seller expects a certain qualification. You yes, discuss seller what the terms and conditions are for this auction, and so your seller's on board. And then we've got a court like the one in West Virginia, um, and and it, on my blog I pointed out we've had other 
court cases. Uh, the Supreme Court, Erie Coal versus uh, Coke Corporation in 1925, we've got Pilos and, Gro and Grawler, which the West Virginia court referenced uh, in, I believe, Maryland in 1996. They use phrases like binding alike. The terms are binding alike on the auctioneer and the bidders. Uh, Piles and Gawler said uh, uh, bidders should stand on equal footing. Mm -hmm. This is not anything new. This is you print the terms and then you got to stick to them. Now, what your terms are, you can certainly set those up ahead of time to allow some flexibility. Not, I wouldn't say, you know, ultimately just anybody, anytime, anywhere, but, you know, a couple choices, a couple ways you can get plugged in, but you, then you got to stick to them. Sure. Well, one that I think is very notable is leaving an opportunity to alter any material facts that come relevant later in the advertising towards, you know, the, close to the sale. And you find out that the, the home has, um, a, you know, a severe foundation issue that wasn't seen initially or termites or there's yep. a, there's a title problem or something. So we, um, you know, we, we reserve the right to adjust the terms and conditions or to make statements the day of the auction, which is um, should be designed to actually improve or, or minimize the risk for the buyer in that auction. That, I mean, that would yeah. be that would be yeah. an, an honest and clear cut attempt to do the right thing. You would want yeah, Trina shows up. And I say, Trina, we advertised clear title. We advertised it was 62 acres. It's actually 52 acres. And we do have a title problem. Now, see, she would want to know, Trina, you would want to know both of those things. Yeah, absolutely. I want to know what I'm buying and that I'm going to own it at the end of the day. Yeah. Then she can so, make a well-informed decision. Right. And you can hopefully leverage the balance of those terms to hold her to the contract, you know, short of buyer's remorse setting in. Um it uh, it but, says, okay, well, you, so you a had life, a well-informed yeah. decision whenever you were making that purchase. We we cleaned up, you know, we, we cleared up a couple of the questions that you had early on before you submitted that bid mm -hmm. on the property. And I would think at a live sale, it, it would be as simple as, you know, just what Sean said or, or what Mike said, that simple conversation. And then maybe have me sign off that I was told that information at the same time. Right. Right. Not a bad idea to get something in writing or initial or something to, yeah. to signal that, yeah, it, you, there is proof that I told you that. So you, that you don't claim, hey, where's the 62 acres and where's the clear title? Yeah. Well, I told you it was 52 acres and we, you weren't getting clear title. Well, I don't remember that, Mike. Uh, that would not be where an auctioneer would want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, we need to slip away and hear from the sponsors, but we'll... Uh, We'll come back. I want to talk about, now we kind of focused on live auctions, but as you know, online bidding, internet auctions are starting to um, take a real uh, presence in the auction industry. I want to talk a little bit about that because there may be some nuances there that didn't get addressed in the front half of the show, but we'll, uh, we'll slip away here from the sponsors. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more from Mr. Mike Branley. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? 
unitedcountry.com. Over 30,000 farm, recreational, and lifestyle properties are just a click away, helping people find their American dream for over 90 years. We will help you find yours. Log on now to unitedcountry.com and find your freedom. Thinking about selling a real estate investment, but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay? Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out AuctionTime.com. Buying great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at AuctionTime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday. So register and start bidding today. AuctionTime.com. The way to buy heavy equipment. Crude oil, natural gas, coal. Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace. So while the commercials were going on, we were talking with Mike... um, offline here a little bit about auctions, uh, internet auctions, online bidding auctions. Now, these are a little bit different because that individual is not standing right there in front of you, Mike. You're dealing with somebody that, and there's a good chance, you know, our company does a lot of online auctions for real estate now. We never meet that buyer. Mm -hmm. Right. We we never physically see that buyer. It's, It's all done through, if they happen to buy, they may or may not even be in the state but uh, they may not have to come to closing. They can do all of that through um, through the mail and, and overnight courier uh, wire transfer. And, you know, there's there's a good chance that all of it's done either uh, through email or telephonically, but we don't have a face-to-face meeting with them. So that changes the, you know, let's just talk brass tacks because in being an auctioneer for 30 years, that change, we've had a lot of people that have gotten a little buyer's remorse or whatever, you know, the bidding was hot and heavy in the room and they paid more than they were hoping to have to pay for it. But uh, <laughs> they had the means to pay for it. And I was like, Oh, ask him, you know, we're, we're, we're not sure. You know, <clears throat> I said, folks, it's going to make you a great property. And the sellers have committed to selling. They've accepted your offer. We've got the contract here for you. And, you know, it's uh, it's just a matter of when you're standing in front of somebody, the response may be different than if you've never met them or they're over the phone. It's a lot easier to say, "No, I'm out." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think maybe online makes it a touch easier. I think that I uh, saw a comment on Facebook in terms of uh, Kurt Bachman's uh, analysis of this, which I thought was very, as I said, reasoned. Uh, uh, he said, you know, you just got to set your terms and stick to them. Mm-hmm. Basically, to summarize his article. He's, it's more than that, of course. Um, online, you don't, as you said, you don't see them. See, live, the, your girlfriend comes up and says, hey, you know, we dated a few years ago. Can I get a number? I don't have my driver's license. You're like, well, okay. Let's see, if she's online, 
and the software says put a credit card in and she doesn't put a credit card in, she ain't getting a bid number. Yeah. I mean, and, it, and, you, yeah. and it answers it for you. Everybody has to do the same things to get past the system. Yeah. So yes, I wonder. And for and for clarity, because my wife listens to these podcasts, I don't have a girlfriend. I, I only have a wife, but you go ahead. All right. Yeah. Same person, maybe we'll say. Um, <laughs> so, you know, could your online terms say, I need a driver's license, I need a credit card or what have you, or if you have a permanent number with us, check this box, we'll verify it or whatever, check our database or against the database and return a yes or no or whatever. Yeah, I, I suppose you could. Um, well, and it's got to be, I mean, all the online auction providers that I've seen, you have to turn on people's bidding at some point. So until they meet all those checkpoints, they're not just live bidders whenever they decide to be. That's that's correct. Okay. I mean, what's so hard? Let's just yeah. say- Let's put the put the uh, thousand acre farm online. You got to have twenty five thousand. You got to have a driver's license. You got to have a credit card. You got to register online. And if you don't have it, well, then sorry. you're not bidding. Yeah, sorry, sorry <laughs> yeah. about that. What's, yeah, <laughs> what's so Mike. So let me run this by you. Here's here's where, and I think there's a lot of auctioneers that follow either this or a similar practice. They they may go a little bit deeper, but but on on the on the margin. You're, let's say we're here in Kansas City, and these are real-life examples. This is um, our company here in Kansas City, online auction of a house that is $100,000 or less. You know, it's not, it's not an over-the-top. It's just an average home. Now, the yep. average home price is close to $300,000 right now in that. Kansas City. So this is not, yeah. we're not, okay. we're not talking about really, really nice property. And you have all of a sudden um, bidders start to come in in the window. They're coming in the registration screen, and they're from here in Kansas City, you know, Lee Summit, Platt, uh, Platt City. I mean, they're in this general area, maybe a couple of them that are 30, 40 miles away. And you visit with them on the phone, <clears throat> and they fill out the registration online. One of the requirements in the bidding platform we use would be Trina Turner's coming in the door. She's wanting to register. She has to submit a credit card. I think it hits that for a dollar or two dollars, something, then puts it back on and says she's carrying a credit card that's registered to somebody named Trina Turner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So there's just there's one additional kind of check and. We're visiting with her, and she said, yeah, actually, I'm uh, looking for a place for my mother right now. It's going to move back to Kansas City, and it kind of makes sense. Right. Then the next person that's going to register is from Sacramento, California, or Seattle, Washington, or Orlando, Florida, or somewhere. And you're taking the time to qualify them on the phone, and you finally get a hold of them. You know, the number doesn't really match. There's a bunch of red flags starting to pop up with this bidder. So those terms that I had read before where our, our terms and conditions had read that the seller reserves the right to ask for additional registration requirements for individuals that are not, um, uh, no. that were unfamiliar with either the seller or the auction company. They haven't done business with us before. Um, they could ask for, hey, uh, we're glad to let you into the auction, but we need you to fill out um, just a bank letter of good standing. Just go to your bank and say, yes, I know this person in 
Seattle or Orlando, whatever they are. Um, they, they have an account with us and you know, we're just, it's a personal guarantee. Nine times out of 10, when you send those out, those people that are registering disappear. Yeah. I mean, because, I, because you're kind of calling them out at that mm-hmm. point. Right. So they're, so it takes, but in that previous conversation, we are intently treating them different than we are somebody here in Missouri. And here's where I'm going with this, Mike. I'd like your response to that, but also in a conversation with a guy that was a career litigator here in Kansas City with a very large firm. And I said, don't worry, I'm not going to mention your name. But I, I said, he goes, if I, if, if I was challenging you in a courtroom right now, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, why do that? What's your intent? What's your purpose of doing that to them and not everybody? And right. I said, and I would say, he said, give me a response to that because that's going to either make or break you in a court of law a lot of times. And I said, my response would be, if somebody non-performs in the contract, if they just either disappear or they, they fail to perform in the real estate contract, the actual act of pursuing you and the cost of litigation goes up dramatically if I have to chase you to California or Washington to do that. Mm-hmm. If you're right here local where we can serve you and stuff and we're kind of on the home turf right here, it gets much, much easier at that point. He said, all right. He said, you know, that's that's not a bad answer. That's a fair answer. Yeah, that is fair. I think that's fair. The only um, maybe criticism or critique I would have of that is – I think the criteria for deciding if you need more information or not needs to be pretty distinct. And if it's known by the auction company, I mean, is that what's known mean? Yeah. Are you a neighbor? Did you guys? Yeah. Yeah. You say, well, I don't know you. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Sure. You know me. What's the criteria for being known? Yeah. So maybe uh, if you're in state and your phone number verifies and your credit card uh, charges a dollar and everything's good and you got a driver's license, you get a number. If you're out of state, um, then we have to have something additional, but I, uh, fairly uh, dis- discernible as to what that criteria is. I think anything that's kind of gray or debatable, you'd want to avoid. Yes, sir. <clears throat> you know, it's it's interesting when you talk to, um, to the legal pr- profession, about an auction because his second question was he said well he said what would prohibit you from just reload he said if if the runner-up bidder doesn't want to buy at that price and the deal falls apart he said the cost of a damage suit would be expensive why not just reload and go back to market with it and i said uh, i said here's the problem with that these folks may have just spent four thousand dollars or six thousand dollars on a marketing campaign and now they have to go back somebody cost them that amount of money. They have to go back and recreate that again. Mm-hmm. We have to go yeah. back and duplicate that. So it's not like, yeah, we'll just set the date out 30 days and run another auction. It's not a problem. Somebody has to actually pay for that auction. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and some people say, and I've, I've seen this, that that second time uh, the, the, uh, the glitter's worn off. Yeah. It's not as mad. Yeah, uh, I mean, because we told everybody at the market that it was going to sell that day, and it didn't sell that day. So the market's now like, well, crap, what's going on with this property? Yeah, and I think Mike, is he's on he's on a point. Finish that thought because it's what's the damage to the purchase price? Yeah. Yeah, and that second time, oftentimes you don't see 
um, quite the magic, quite the, uh, quite the excitement. They didn't have to wait another 35 years to find that property. They only had to wait 30 more, 30 more days. Here it is again. Mm-hmm. So excited. And there can be, um, rather substantial damages. Um, I don't know that you can, particularly in real estate, you really can't make the high bidder buy the property. You can sell it to somebody else, maybe 30 days later, and then sue for the damages and say, well, you know, it's cost, we had to market it again and we lost money on the deal. So we're out a hundred thousand dollars. So we're going to sue you for the hundred thousand dollars we lost rather than pursuing say specific performance, which is I'm, I'm going to force this buyer to buy. That's a tough argument. Because the buyer just says, well, I ain't doing it. Yes, sir. I'm just not. But you can sue for the damages. You, absolutely. Yeah. And But the cost of that is, um, you know, what, what do you stand to gain? Because you, you can't sue for free. Well, that's right. It costs money to uh, litigate. And if it's, <laughs> it can cost substantial monies to litigate. And you, you don't want to spend $200,000 on attorneys to, to try to recover $100,000 in damages. I heard a man argue one time. They said, what is the extent of the damages? And he said, you, it's, it's, it's hard to say. He said, in, in the consumer's eyes, if a property brought $200,000 and the person that was the winning bidder non-performed in the contract, and you had to go back and replicate that, he argued that in the consumer's eyes, in a good percentage of consumers, the belief system would be that it did not close because it wasn't worth that price originally. That's what I was saying. So yeah. you've deflated the value of the property. There's something wrong with it. Something was uncovered is why it wasn't a clean transaction the first time. Which, as a consumer that's looked at real estate a lot over the past five years, if you see something out there and it disappears and comes back, that's exactly what you think. Oh, there's termites. Or, there's something wrong. There's some reason yep. the cell, the cell, like it couldn't, it couldn't pass inspection. Something happened here. There's the problem, Mike. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. and and it, what it, is the extent of that? I mean, how so? How much damage did it do to it? And that's that's going to be hard to measure. Other than two hundred thousand dollars, buyer, you know, backs yeah. out, doesn't close. The next sale, it brings one hundred and seventy thousand. Well, then I guess the damages were thirty thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah, and the additional marketing and the marketing, holding, yeah. all, all that, and uh, and then you decide whether to sue or not. Now, if, you know, if it sells for two hundred the first time and then doesn't close, and sells for one hundred ninety six the next time, um, you're probably going to call it a day because you couldn't pursue that person for four thousand dollars. I mean, the the cost of pursuit would be more than that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it just if the damages aren't sufficient enough, you just treat it as a learning experience and uh, move on to the next project. When the damages are substantial cases, I've been involved in 75 million in damages, 46 million in damages. Well, you, you saddle up and yeah. we're going to court, but, but you know, a few thousand in damages or $10,000 in damages in the current environment, probably not worth pursuing. So we're, <clears throat> we're kind of getting down to um, we're getting closer here to the end of the show. And before we go, I, I, I want to, I want to kind of put you in the hot seat here just a little bit and ask your advice, ask your consult for an auctioneer, and we'll we'll talk about real estate, for example. That analogy that I gave you earlier, which was, by the way, that is that's a real life situation where you're selling properties in your local market. We'll call that Kansas City. You have bidders that are coming in the door that 
you just believe you need to charge additional bidder requirements to. You need to request those from them because it's going to flush out people that um, are either, you know, just playing games or not serious, um, or it's going to further pre-qualify them so that you have a clean transaction. Yep. Any idea how those terms, you know, for registration could be written? Is there is there any, or, and if you can't state it verbatim, are there some key elements of that you could give the listeners that say, well, I would maybe try this tactic or, or take this stance in writing them? Yeah, get you know, it's always good to get with your attorney and and describe what issue or problem you're trying to solve. And so take your situation. You're in Kansas City, uh, out-of-state bidders. You want a little bit more uh, skin in the game. You want a little more uh, proof that they're able and willing and, and able to perform. Uh, your in-state or local guys you're not worried about, you can find them. But the out-of-state or he's in California or he's in England, you know, I mean, who knows, right? You're going to need additional, you want additional requirements. So maybe it's a driver's license and a, and a bank letter for the local guys. And maybe it's a certified funds of a certain amount, a deposit. If you're out of state or, or beyond 500 miles or something, uh, you have to decide what that, where that line is. Um, online platforms, I know one we use has different tiers. Uh, there's tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four, at least, uh, where the requirements get a little more uh, complicated, a little more demanding. You can't, you can't, if it's set to tier four, you really, they really run up, they practically run a background check on you to let you bid. Tier one, you put your information, you put your credit card in, you're off and running. So, you know, you can, you can build additional, uh, barriers to entry, but back to our earlier conversation, you don't want that barrier to entry to be too high because your seller's injured because you have denied bidders. That's always the argument, you know, are you keeping the bad guys out? Yeah. But, and that may, and that may be the misconception that I really wanted to get across in this show, Mike, is that I, I don't get the feeling in your blog articles. If somebody's misinterpreting that, it's not saying that you have to heighten the registration requirements for everybody that you're used to, your, your common crowd, your, your normal crowd you're used to doing business with. I, I, what I read into that, and I, I think I'm hearing that on the show today, is you're just saying whatever the terms and conditions are written and contemplate all of that, put it in there, but then stick to those. Yeah. And don't make on-the-spot, you know, changes that affects one person that doesn't affect another that are different than the stated terms and conditions. I could, I, I could not say it any better. Um, and I, and I, and related though, if we have a minute here, uh, let's just say that you have that real estate auction and it's 10% in a bank letter. And then some guy shows up and you say, well, you don't have that and you don't have the letter. You don't have the 10% or whatever. Go ahead and get registered. And he buys it and all's fine. Nobody knows the difference. Nobody researches it. So it, it closes. He goes home talking to his neighbor. He said, yeah, I bought that property down there. Oh, you did. I saw that ad. So you had to take 10% and a bank letter. No, no. He let me register without that. Mm-hmm. Well, so, well, hell, I would have gone to that auction had I known that. I thought you had to have 10%. My brother's been looking for property. He didn't have quite 10%, so he didn't even go down there. I didn't know they could change it. I mean, there's a risk you lose somebody on that side of the equation. 
Yes, sir. And that's innocently enough. That's exactly how all this starts. They, there was an older guy. He, he he said, "Well, you know, it's pretty tough to sue somebody." And he said, "It's not tough at all to sue somebody." He, he <laughs> said, "You can you can sue the Pope for rape if you have enough money for the filing fee." Right, he said, right. "Suing somebody is not a difficult task at all." But he said, "You should have some grounds. You should have some intent and some reason. You know, yeah, before you do the case, it, yeah. Because there's also a word out there called just frivolous." Yeah. yeah. Yep. There and uh, that's. Yeah, that's not what the court system set up for. So, yeah, yeah, it is not, and and courts rightly uh, uh, assess early on: are there true damages here? Do you have a case, or are you just suing because you're upset or something? And uh, will on occasion even dismiss cases. They say, you know, you don't have grounds, or you don't have any damages. Next case, um, and they should do that. Mike, what are we missing out of this? You know, there's some great points of clarification. So. There is an avenue to treating either local or um, red flag bidders in, in having additional requirements, but those need to be stated in the terms and conditions what those pathways are, and then they need to be adhered to. They need to be followed through. And be the same for everybody. So whether they're in California or Oregon or New York, it's the same process and yeah, whatever you whatever yeah. you decide to do if yeah. they're you know outside of the area or they're first time bidders or here is the registration process and then we're sticking to that um, and not getting into that scenario you just painted what are we missing outside of that so what I, I know there's you know there's becoming more and more inherent risk in, uh, in being in the auction business it's just it's getting very tricky uh, credit card fraud uh, wire fraud, um, shipping games now where people yeah. have maliciously went out and, and stolen credit cards and they've participated in an auction. They want the item shipped to a different address than the cards registered to. And it uh, and, and now you have the whole tax situation, Wayfair, uh, Wayfair versus South Dakota that popped up a couple years ago, and now that's being dealt with. So this is not an easy industry to operate in as it once was. It, it sure isn't easy if it was ever easy, but it's not easy now. That's for sure. And the complication, it just gets harder and, and more challenging almost every day. I would, I would leave you with three thoughts. I think there's three things, maybe, um, one, certainly set your terms up ahead of time and stick to them. Don't make exceptions once they're set. Uh, two, um, talk to your seller and make sure your seller's on board and give your seller an opportunity to, you know, voice their opinion as to, well, I think that's good or how's that affect, you know, um, and, and get their knowledge and consent. It's always a good idea. They know what you're doing and they consent to it, get it in the contract, make sure they get a copy. Um, and lastly, I think auctioneers just have to admit, and I, I doubt you'd find any auctioneer that wouldn't admit this, it don't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how tight you, you wrap the terms. It doesn't matter how you check every word. It doesn't matter how you, this is business. And there's no guarantee if you, if you require, as we mentioned, blood type firstborn and, and a hundred thousand dollars cash deposited in an underground storage container before <laughs> you can, there, he still might not close. Yeah. I mean, you can't guarantee performance you, it, it, no matter what you do. 
You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. I can remember years ago in Enid, Oklahoma, we had uh, we sold two or three farms, and the buyer, the winning bidder, and and announced we have sold you the farm. Um, <clears throat> and he was an area farmer. He's a guy that people around there knew, uh, but he just people are sitting around, kind of mingling. We're getting the purchase contracts out, and we look up, and that guy's just gone. Yeah, he just got up yeah. and walked out the back door. So we started trying to call him, and of course he didn't answer his phone right away. <laughs> Finally, got him on the phone. He goes, "I," he said, "Guys, I'm sorry." He said, "I just, I, I think I paid too much for that farm." Um, uh, he said, "I just, I got nervous about it," and he said, "I just had to get up and get out of there." But uh, when people tell me, they said, "Well, that's the problem with online bidders." You know, how do you make them follow through? And I said, "Well, how do you make somebody on site follow through?" Yeah. Right. Now, let me tell you a story about a guy getting up after he bought a farm and walking out the back door. So, it uh, that is um, that is risk in this business. Now, granted, I don't think the frequency of that's near as high at live auctions as it could be. The potential for it in an online auction, which goes back to that first comment we had about being in front of them, and yeah. you have some peer pressure in that room when everybody kind of knows you or is familiar with you. It it it's very difficult to get up and walk out the back door. You know, that's because everybody sees you do that. Yeah. It's right in front of everybody. Yes, sir. Um, the online, like we said, is easier to qualify because you can just tell the software, look, if they don't check this box and check this box and check this box, they ain't bidding. So <laughs> get over it, uh, buy somewhere else. There's other options. Uh, you know, you're not playing with our auction today. You can play somewhere else. Um, but you still can't guarantee everything's going to work out. And if you, and the good news is, for the most part, the seller still has the property. In other mm -hmm. words, with real you haven't transferred it yet. So you got backup bidders. you got other registrants. You've got maybe, at worst case, you have to sell it 30 days later, and, and maybe it sells for a little less or a lot less or whatever. But at least you can try to solve your own problem from non-performance. And... I would say, again, I would just say there's, there's no way to guarantee performance no matter what you do. Yeah. Mike, you're a wealth of information, and we always, uh, we always appreciate the opportunity to visit with you on the podcast show. I've got another topic. I've, I've got, actually got about 10 topics in the back of my head right now. We're just so. going to make you a weekly yeah. guest from now on. <laughs> Why don't we just do this every week? We'll just set a certain time every week, and hey, it's the Mike Brandley Show. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell the listeners how they can find you, how they can get in touch with you. Well, I hope they can go into Google and, and uh, type in any kind of auction question or whatever and find me. And I suspect they might from my blog. So that's mikebrandleyauctioneer.wordpress.com. Uh, but it, uh, if you put my name in, Mike Brandley or anything like that, you'll probably uh, find me. And uh, my uh, phone number, my cell phone, I'm not uh, ashamed to tell anybody that, 614-461-9229. Uh, and you can reach out to me anytime, text me, call me if I can help or answer a question or whatever. Glad to, glad to take a uh, swipe at it. We'll make sure and put a link in this in the show notes. And uh, for the listeners, Mike Brandley, his last name uh, is spelled B-R-A-N-D-L-Y. There's no E in it. So it's Mike, B-R-A-N-D-L-Y. Um, and you say blog? Mike Brandley blog? Auctioneer. It's, it's Mike Brandley with no E. Sean, you're correct, although oftentimes there is an E. Um, auctioneer dot 
WordPress because I have the free account. So you have to have that WordPress on the mm-hmm. end of it. Fine. Uh, com. Outstanding. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. And we appreciate your expertise. Uh, we'll look forward to having you back on a future show. Sounds good, Sean. Great to talk with you. Trina, you take care and, you and uh, find a car. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you. I'll try. <laughs> take care, Mike. All right. You guys take care. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for today's show. To access all resources and links mentioned in today's show, head over to www.thesailring.com now. We appreciate your feedback and encourage you to share the show with other industry pros like yourself. Join us next time as we meet you inside The Sail Ring.